Diocese of Churches for the Sake of Others is pleased to present the C4SO podcast, a place to celebrate the voices and values of C4SO. C4SO is a national diocese of the Anglican Church in North America led by Bishop Todd Hunter. You can learn more about us at c4so.org. Hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of the C4SO podcast. I'm your host, Ben Sternke, and I'm here again uh, for the seventh time, I think this is, Bishop, with Bishop Todd Hunter. Dang, seven times. That must mean we're like almost friends. Yeah, almost friends. We're, we hang out every week. We talk <laughs> about uh, fun stuff. This is really fun yeah, for me. It's great. Um, so me I'm, uh, I'm glad we get to do this. Um, how, how are you today, Bishop? You know, I woke up this morning feeling really challenged Mm. Um, mm. it feels like there's seven things going on in the world that deserve really careful, deep attention. And mm. I just don't know how one gives their attention to yes. all the enormous things that are going on. Yes. Um, so yeah, I find myself these days when somebody asks me how I'm doing, I always say fully challenged. <laughs> like, I'm, <laughs> I'm all, I don't need any more of that. Yeah. I'll full up. Yes. Uh, yes. Yeah. Very uh, tumultuous and momentous times. Um, well, that maybe gets into uh, our topic for today. We're going to talk about mission, uh, which is the fourth of five values that C4SO has. A couple announcements uh, before we dive into it. Uh, the diocesan convention is coming up. Uh, just check the show notes for that. That's November 14th. Anyone is welcome to come to that if you want to hear a little bit more about C4SO. November 14th. Uh, details in the show notes. Um, and also, as this podcast is just getting started, um, if you are listening... Uh, and that's you. If you can hear this, you're listening. Um, we're just getting started with this podcast, and we could use your help. Um, so if you're enjoying this, um, you can help in three ways. One, give us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. That helps other people find the podcast if there are ratings and reviews, especially on Apple Podcasts. But feel free to leave a re- rating and review on, on whatever uh, platform you listen. Uh, number two, subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss an episode. And number three, tell a friend about the podcast or maybe some folks in your congregation who might be interested in having a more direct and ongoing connection with the diocese uh, that they're part of. So those three things, if you want to help us get the word out, um, we're just getting started and all those things help. So um, we're in this inaugural series then uh, on the podcast where we're talking about the story, the mission, the values of C4SO. Uh, we've talked about the story a bit, we've talked about our mission a bit, and now we're talking about the values. We've talked about kingdom, we've talked about spirit, and we've talked about formation. And this week, uh, we are talking about the value of mission. Are you ready to go, Todd? Let's go. All right. So um, the, here, here's what we write on the website. Here's what we write about mission. And uh, my understanding, Bishop, this, these words kind of came from you. The church is animated by, incorporated into, and constituted by, so animated by, incorporated into, and constituted by the mission of God. The calling and sending of the church are central to God's self-revelation. So um, just in case, this language might be unfamiliar to some, so I wondered if Mm -hmm. you could unpack what you have in mind when you say the mission of God. And how is, this is two questions, I guess. One, what do you mean by the mission of God? And yes. number two, how is the sending of the church central to the mission of God? Yeah. So, yeah, we'll, we'll go back to those words, animated, incorporated, and constituted. Um, but for now, just to answer your question, 
I think the really simple way of putting this is that God is up to something. Um, so you might say God is intentional or God is purposeful, purposeful, or God had something in mind and he's working towards it. Mm. So to me, that is simply the mission of God. It's kind of like, what is God up to? Mm. And then the follow-on question, how is the sending of the church central to that? It's if you think of, okay, God had purposes in his heart and mind before he created. Then he creates, and we now know that he's recreating and that what he intended to create is going to come to its its telos, its fulfilled purposes. Mm. So that then raises the question, how? And the biblical answer is through the creation of a people. So if you think all the way back to the first humans, uh, what they hear from God is, I'm paraphrasing here, hey, look at this amazing new creation I've just created. Come work with me in it. Come mm. rule and reign with me in it. Mm. Um, then you have the calling of Abram and uh, Abraham and the creation of the, of the people of God who, you know, Genesis 12, 1 through 3, are meant to be a blessing to the whole earth. If you think about Psalm 8 and that, incredi that incredible rhetorical question, what is man that you're mindful of him? And the answer is you've given him to rule and reign with you. Hmm. And then, of course, in John the Baptist and the sending of the Son and the sending of the Spirit, you have the, you know, the creation of the church. So from beginning to end, literally to Revelation 22.5, so from Genesis 2 to Revelation 22.5, you have this notion of ruling and reigning. 22.5 uh, says, and they will rule and reign with him forever and ever in the new heavens and the new earth. Mm -hmm. So I think what I'm trying to say, Ben, is lots of what is known of God has been revealed through him creating and shaping a people. Mm-hmm. Right, So just think of all that's known about him through the creation narratives or what's known about him through Abraham and the patriarchs, what's known about him in Judges and Kings and Prophets and the creation of the church. So very much of what we know about the person and character of God is what we know um, through his shaping this people. Hmm. Yeah, so creation itself then is part of, part of the purposes of God. It's not uh, it, it's something in which God says, I, I have a vision, I have an intention, mm -hmm. I have something I'm up to. And part of what he's up to is involving his creation in what he's doing. And so there's never a time in which he's doing something apart from his creation, at least as right. we have it in the, in, the, in the biblical record, that there is yeah. a sense of uh, God enfleshes his purposes through his people. Right. Through, and now through the church, obviously, right. uh, following on after Pentecost. So now we can get back to those three sort of big words of animated, yeah. incorporated into, constituted by. So by animated by, I mean something really simple, like um, let's say mom gets out the swifter to, you know, swifter the floor, or um, dad's carrying the laundry to the laundry room to start the wash, and one of the little kids in the house then grabs their beach bucket and, you know, wets a mop and, mm. you know, wants to do what, you know, mom or dad are doing to right. clean the kitchen floor. Or they run in their room and get their own dirty clothes and they, mm -hmm. they run to the parent and say, oh, here, throw this in. Mm -hmm. So like watching what somebody else is doing animates their own behavior. Mm. So that's what I have in mind by it's, it's what God is up to on the earth that uh, then animates the church to yeah. um, be a part of what he's doing. So then we're then incorporated into what he's doing. 
And then constituted by is um, maybe a part that could be a, a little bit controversial. I don't think it's hugely controversial. But I just mean to say again um, that we are the people called into what God is doing. Therefore, it feels like something about what God is doing actually constitutes or creates yes. or uh, shapes the church to be um, who she is. Yeah. Yeah. So we're both involved in what God is doing and we are what God is doing in a sense, right? right? Mm-hmm. That there is a sense in which God is, uh, as God shapes creation, we are part of creation. And so we're we're constituted by the mission mm-hmm. of God. It's the only yeah. reason we exist, really, right? Yeah. Um, we're constituted by the mission of God, but then also empowered to act as agents of the mission of God. Right. Kind of bo- this both and reality that I think... Right. I think if we miss one or the other, I think there's an imbalance in the way that we think about and practice mission. Yeah. So when I say constituted by being a little um, perhaps controversial, I just mean to say that other thinkers would say that the church is constituted by the sending and the reception of the Spirit. Mm. Still others would say that somehow the church is constituted by Eucharist. I don't mean to argue that those things are in any way unimportant, and I don't mean to say that they don't have constituting sorts of power. Mm-hmm. It's just that when I was writing this paragraph about the mission of God, I was picturing the mission of God, mm-hmm. and that somehow that at least yeah. helps constitute. I wouldn't want to say, apart from the sending of the Spirit or even apart from Eucharist, yeah. but that it has a constituting kind of power to it. Yeah, yeah. And even even as you say those other things, too, it strikes me, and I don't want to be too theologically uncareful here, but like it strikes me that um, there is some overlap there between the mission of God and the Eucharist, right? Yeah. It's, not, mm-hmm. it's not like the Eucharist is incidental to the mission of God. Right. Like those things are actually uh, intertwined uh, in, in a very vital way in a, lot yes. of, in a lot of theologies. Yeah. Yeah, okay. So um, moving on from that, um, we, we say this next, and I, I have a question about... Um, Another big word that we use here. Um, So the church as the body of Christ and the bearer of divine blessing is a sign, a foretaste, and an instrument of the kingdom, quoting Leslie Newbegin there. Mm -hmm. Um, And this is primarily a relational and ontological reality, not merely pragmatic or utilitarian. Um, what do we mean then in making this distinction between the church being, the church is the sign, instrument, and foretaste, but that is an ontological reality versus a pragmatic one? Why is that yeah. distinct? What is that distinction? Can you unpack that? And then why is that important to make that distinction? Well, probably one of the biggest things I've learned in the last 12 years of being an Anglican um, would be issues of ecclesiology, especially kind of formal ecclesiology, because the world that I come out of, um, Ecclesiology was just not near as a big of a thing as it is in, quote, the great tradition. Mm-hmm. So in Catholicism, Orthodoxy, Anglicanism, um, ecclesiology emerges out of that great tradition thinking as a really big deal. Yeah. And I don't, again, I'm these, this is oversimplified, where, you know, evangelicals may have been just sort of more pragmatic Um and in a sense, more focused on the broken world and kind of than a pragmatism for, quote, reaching or healing that world. Yeah. And what's so, the me- pro- What's the most pragmatic way to yeah. organize ourselves? It's uh-huh. almost incidental. It's just like, well, you know, like some people have if elders and other people. Yeah, it's just the structure. It's just what happens to yes. get help us get on with the mission. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So just using that as kind of a character, as a backdrop, sure. um, when I first started speaking in Anglican circles, I sounded like that. 
And I didn't mean to sound like it. It wasn't <laughs> like a thoughtful commitment. It was yeah. just, it, I guess it was sort of my unscrutinized um, worldview. Right. And I remember one of the very first times speaking at a big Anglican meeting, uh, it was lunchtime and I sat down at a table and there were two or three people sitting there and, um, in uh, uh, black cassocks and they very nicely, and I mean it very nicely, very respectfully said, you know, Bishop, it, it just sounds like your ecclesiology is way too utilitarian hmm. that like the church is just like sort of a rake in God's shed or something, you know, that hmm. God uses. And, and it, it feels like it misses the ontological realities of no, we are the body of Christ. Hmm. We are, the, we are one with he who is the head. And the church is primarily an ontological issue. Ecclesiology is primarily ontological, not pragmatic hmm. or utilitarian. So I really took that to heart. And I thought, oh, hmm. I've, I've like, I got to go figure this out. This sort of evangelical versus Catholic ecclesiology. So this is like 10 or 12 years ago. And so I've thought about it a lot over the last decade. And I've come to say, Ben, that actually the ontological view may make my point better. Hmm. Like if Christ is the head and we're ontologically connected to him. So using an analogy of like the human nervous system, if Christ is the head and we're the nervous system through which he expresses himself on the earth, well, then all we have to do is look to what our head cared about hmm. uh, and the kingdom and healing people and um, driving out demons and raising the dead and ministering to the poor and, um, uh, caring about justice and the inbreaking of um, the power that will bring injustices to an end. All we have to do is look at what he did and do it with him. I think we end up in the exact same place, only maybe better because it's rooted in an ontological reality. And that's what I'm trying to get at it in this statement is I, I don't want us thinking that we're, like I said, just the lawnmower and God's cosmic shed out back. Yeah. You know? yeah. The C4SO Cycle of Prayer Spotlight uh, is, as you know, this brief segment on the podcast where we highlight the specific ministry we're praying for this week in our diocesan cycle of prayer. This week we're praying for Trinity Anglican Church in Marysville, California, led by Reverend Victor Schreffler, and he has joined us to share briefly about what's going on right now at Trinity and how we can pray specifically for them. Victor, welcome to the C4SO Cycle of Prayer Spotlight. Thank you. It's good to be here. Yes. Victor, can you tell us um, one thing you're encouraged by right now? Yeah, I am encouraged that um, through this uh, crazy time, uh, people have been willing to adapt and continue to do their best to worship, even with all the restrictions. I'm particularly impressed with some of our older congregants who have uh, climbed the mountain of Zoom and figured <laughs> out how to uh, how to connect. So, you know, a lot of good people, God's uh, salt of the earth people, doing their very best to be faithful followers of Jesus. That's wonderful. Um, can you tell me one thing you're challenged by right now, a challenge you're facing? Yeah, so on two levels. One, um, continuing on the local level, uh, Zoom is not uh, really a full replacement for church, and I think we're all missing the, the physical mm -hmm. 
presence. Mm-hmm. I mean, Anglicans are about presence anyway. So, yeah. so there's a, a real sense of that. And I know um, uh, with our folks, just the ability to be hugged or have a hug, give a oh, hug yeah. or, you know, lay hands on for prayer or any yeah. of those kind of physical expressions of ministry. So I, that's one area on the local level that's, that's we're missing on the kind of national uh, level. You know, obviously, we're all very concerned about the divisiveness um, that's, you know, happening in our land. And I watched a movie that Scott McKnight recommended uh, called Social Dilemma. And mm-hmm. it's scientific because, you know, everybody thinks that the times they're in are completely unique and it's never been this bad or whatever. <laughs> um, but according to the research, it's actually never been this bad before. So, <laughs> right. Yeah. The technology you know, is empowering yeah, us in yeah. the wrong ways. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, uh, I feel that as well. In light of all this, uh, Victor, how can we be praying for you and for Trinity Anglican Church? So um, God will give me renewed vision on what it means to pastor in mm. in the pandemic and post-pandemic, mm. how to embody Christ in uh, real ways for those that are hurting, and yeah. to, uh, I guess, to be faithful, to be a peacemaker, uh, figure out ways to help people be peacemakers without being indifferent to important social justice issues. Yes. Yes. Well, I'll take some of that. If if you guys are praying for that, I'll take some of that prayer too. So <laughs> feels feels like something we all need. Thanks, uh, Victor. Really appreciate uh, you joining us today. Thank you. Friends, to find out more about Trinity Anglican Church or to contribute to their work, check out the link in the show notes. The other word that I've sometimes used is organically. Like mm-hmm. we're like yeah. to be the body mm-hmm. of Christ. It's more than just this picture. It it is this spiritual reality where there is a connection to where you know Paul or Saul, as he was known at the time, can can be persecuting Christians, and Jesus can feel it as yeah. his own pain, as, mm-hmm. as it has, saying, "You're persecuting me," right. because he also feels this ontological connection with his body, with yeah. with with his members on earth. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's an important uh, distinction to make. And also, for me, what you're saying brings it into the present tense, right? Mm. Our following of Jesus is not uh, the same thing as you know trying to imitate somebody who's long dead and we have stories about him, right? Yeah. Even though sometimes we can end up talking about Jesus that way. And obviously, we have record in the Gospels of what he did. You know, this is what right. he did and what he cared about. Um, but he, you know, is raised from the dead and he's ascended into heaven and he lives now with his church, through the Holy Spirit. And so there is this present tense connection that we have with our head as we carry out his mission, Mm -hmm. as we are his hands and feet, as Julian of Norwich said. Um, I think it was Julian of Norwich. Christ has no body now but yours. Is that Mm -hmm. her? Uh, That sounds right. I think (laughs) so. Okay. okay. Um, Hey, one question I wanted to ask before we get too far down the pike. Um, uh, I wondered if you could comment on, um, even when we say the mission of God, you, you said that God is up to something, that God mm-hmm. has an intention, that God wants things to happen. Um, one thing that I've seen is the way that we define that mission ends up sort of um, defining, I guess, how we carry it out. And um, two ditches or camps, um, or maybe it's aspects of mission that I think we can sometimes end up uh, emphasizing one to the detriment of the other. I wonder mm-hmm. if you could comment on this. I've just seen this happen in... Um, some branches of the church, mission is all about 
evangelism, essentially. It's the right. same thing as telling people about Jesus. It's, it's about words. It's about giving people the gospel and then mm-hmm. letting them make a decision as an individual about what they're going to do with it. Right. There's other camps in the church that would say um, that they're maybe suspicious of that. That's, that's too colonial. Uh, we don't want to just use our words, but we want to, through our actions, kind of demonstrate the love of God for people. And so, mm-hmm. so we've got these, like, we're just going to serve uh, the poor. We're going to uh, demonstrate, you know, kind of what, what God wants on the earth. Um, so I, I don't know if you've seen that. I, it just seems to me that um, sometimes there's an unnecessary divide between witness yeah. and service. And um, I, I see us trying to hold those things together. And I, I wasn't sure if you wanted to just comment on that a, a bit, um, how maybe mission is, is holding those two things together, or how you see those things working together. I don't right. know. So if the, if the heart of an appropriate response to Jesus is, come follow me, which is his constant invitation uh, throughout the um, Gospels, or putting it differently, if it's repent and believe, you know, Mark uh, 1, um, 15, mm-hmm. um, then there is both an informational component to that and an embodied or practiced component. So the way that I think I harmonize those things, Ben, is in the Great Commission. And I, I love the way Peterson gets this in the message, and I'm probably not going to be able to get it word for word here. Um, but if you read the Great Commission and the message, Eugene really pulls out that what um, Jesus is saying is, go and teach others everything I have taught you. And so that includes all of Jesus's teachings, but it also includes the things that Jesus did. Caring for the poor and the oppressed, the broken, the sick, the lame, the you know the lepers. I mean, just go on and on, mm-hmm. you know, about what Jesus did on behalf of the marginalized, or where there were um, you know injustices being um, done. Mm-hmm. Jesus addressed those, and you might say a practiced or embodied way, but he also taught people yeah. about the kingdom, about who he was about what the Father was up to. So yes, I think any holistic sense of mission holds those two together. Um, it's hmm. probably a bit of a caricature to say that, well, maybe not. I mean, well, I, I can only really speak about the sort of mainstream evangelical world of my lifetime. Mm-hmm. Though we would have had, a, especially when I was young, a huge emphasis on getting people to say the prayer. There's no doubt. We used to actually say things like, what's the point of giving somebody a sandwich and they die and go to hell with a full stomach? We should actually say stuff like that. Right, right. And we, like, it made sense. We meant it. That, like, no, the most important thing happening here is eternity. Right. And so preparing people for eternity, that's what we should give our attention to. Mm -hmm. But you know what? Even those people did stuff for the poor. And you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Practices really didn't match that rhetoric a hundred percent. Sure. Yeah. It's a caricature. You're right. Yeah. But, but on the other side, I think actually the, the part of the church that sees things like only in terms of social justice, they sometimes, because unfortunately just historically that came out of a liberal impulse, Mm -hmm. they kind of lost some of the big parts of the story, like resurrection, stuff like that. So again, yeah. it's a bit of a caricature here. Yeah. 
Um, but I love that in the message where um, uh, Jesus holds that together. Did you find that? I did, yeah. Yeah, read, read it to read us. It? Yeah. yeah. Uh, Jesus undeterred, undeterred by some people not being sure about worship. Yeah. I kind of love that, that he commissions yeah. people who are I know like, it. I'm not sure about this. Yeah, that they <laughs> doubt. Uh, but he says this, God authorized and commanded me to commission you. Go out and train everyone you meet. So let's stop there. Okay. So just think of that word train. That's the word I was trying to say. Okay. See, that's whole life. All right. Like if right. somebody says train somebody in um, golf, well, that involves being able to hit the ball. That's embodied. But you right. also have to know the rules of the game. That's more cognitive. Yeah. So training pulls this together. See, I see that as a more holistic word. Yeah. Because that would pull together both the cognitive parts of our faith mm -hmm. and the yes. legitimate, for lack of a better word, social justice yeah. parts of our faith. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, in the translation here, it says, go out and train everyone you meet far and near in this way of life. Love so that phrase, that embodied, too. Mm -hmm. There's that embodied piece. Yeah. Making them by baptism in the threefold name, marking them by baptism yeah. in the threefold name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, then instruct them yeah. in the practice of all that I have commanded you. Yeah. Love those words. Instruct them in the practice. Yeah. Yeah, so that's yes, that's that's the way I harmonize this, Ben. You're right it, that it's a it's mm -hmm. a both and, and I suppose in any moment, uh, the accent could be on one or the other. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's you a could, discernment. Yeah, you could feel a moment where, gosh, I really do need to help this person come to faith or this mm -hmm. youth group or whatever. Yeah, and you might feel another moment in which no, what's what's really called for here is action. Yeah, yep, well, I love that. That's a that's a that's part of the vision I think that um, I've been drawn to is is holding together the embodiment and the proclamation of good news of the gospel you know yeah, so, both so gospel if we go back to that stuff we're doing with ontology mm -hmm. so ontology you know has to do with being yeah so if we could if we could hold in the front of our minds the being of Christ Jesus you know this is the best we can it's you know can feel impossible sometimes. <laughs> but if we could just hold in front of our minds the real person, Jesus. So that's ontological, being. And a part of what mission tries to ask is, what is that being doing? Mm. Mm -hmm. So that doing then doesn't become a dirty word. Yeah. As if being was everything. Because mm -hmm. even the being of the second person of the Trinity we know him because of what he did. Does that make sense? Yeah. It doesn't mean he can be reduced to what he did. Mm -hmm. You know, the Sermon on the Mount, the Olivet Discourse, um, or, you know, the healing of the widow's only son or whatever. Yeah. He, yeah. he can't be reduced to what he did, but there is, to use your word, an organic connection. Yes. Like the overflow of that being is mm -hmm. what we read about on the pages of the New Testament. Mm. So remember Jesus at the feast says, um, anybody here who believes what I'm saying right now and receives it out of your innermost being will come gushing torrents of living water. Mm -hmm. And then you have, you know you have, you have that um, scene in Revelation where from the throne living waters come that heals yeah. all of creation. Yeah. So I picture Jesus seeing the church is out of our being yes. will come this living water which has action. See what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So action coming out of being. Yeah. And so that was true about Jesus. There was being, the second mm -hmm. person of the Trinity, from which his being flowed yeah. these works of healing yeah. and deliverance yeah. and reconciliation and salvation. Yeah. Yeah. And that, I mean, that strikes me as uh, what it means to have integrity 
is that my actions reveal my being. They don't hide it. Um, as you know, and maybe this is this gets at you know when Jesus calls people hypocrites, he calls uh, the Pharisees hypocrites. Yeah, and that's because there's this mismatch between their being and their action. The actions that they're taking are only to like uh, impress other people. Yeah, they're not actually doing the thing that they claim to be doing. So in their prayers, they're not actually praying. They're yeah. to use Dallas Willard's words, they're not actually involving God in their project. They're yeah. just praying in order to be seen, which means they're. There's a mismatch between being and doing for yeah. them. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, very compelling. How about one more question here? Um, it's actually a two-parter, uh, but one more question to finish out this episode. Um, say this uh, about mission: building churches in conversation with a specific mission field. We co-labor with missional and spirit-driven creativity, born from the heart of Thomas Cranmer, as seen in his introduction to the Book of Common Prayer, 1549. We seek to identify where God is at work and join him there. If listeners are unfamiliar, and I can't remember exactly what this says, so I am unfamiliar, um, can you read the relevant section of Cranmer's introduction? What are you, what are you talking about there? Um, and then uh, what's compelling about that for you? Yeah. So the preface to the 59, 1549 prayer book says this, that provided the substance of the faith is kept entire. So meaning, you know, as long as you don't mess with orthodoxy, Worship may be altered, abridged, enlarged, amended, or otherwise disposed of, as may seem most convenient for the edification of the people, according to the various exigencies of the times and occasions. Hmm. I don't know who pointed this out to me you know, 10 or 12 years ago, <clears throat> but I just remember being floored because it just sounds like like just sort of brilliant missiology and mm. and you don't think of Cramner necessarily that way you know you think of him as the founder or the you know the the creator of this prayer book mm. and the prayer book you know has this very powerful givenness to it mm-hmm. and i don't mean that as a criticism it just it does like here's how you pray and here's yeah. how you do eucharist and here's the collect of the day and so there's a there's a powerful givenness and the longer you practice it the more given it feels. Yeah. Right. For, for, it, yeah. For mostly good, but yes, right. for, yeah, yeah. but yes, it can become so important to you that um, like, let's say maybe you're, you're used to um, doing Eucharist in a very formal way with formal language and mm-hmm. formal accoutrements. Yeah. And you find yourself in a different missional s- setting in which people don't understand the formal language and the accoutrements are actually barriers, not bridges. Mm-hmm. Well, to your point, if you become really familiar with something, are you willing to, because of the exigencies of those times and those occasions, yes. let worship be abridged or yeah. amended or altered, yeah. as Cramer said. Yeah. So I just found this stunning. Here's this guy going to all this trouble mm-hmm. <clears throat> to, create, to create a very specific and intended, and intended to be engaged with in a very specific way, who in the preface says... Uh, you know, if there's a place is, or time when this isn't really working for you, yeah, you can yeah. change it as long as you're not changing the faith. As long as you're yeah. staying in the Orthodox faith, you can do that. Yeah. Well, so that's the first paragraph, Ben. The second paragraph that I think I love even more is that it really does expose the motivation, the missional motivation for why Cramner said what he said. Mm. Um I think what Cramner, I think Cramner knew contextualization before that was made popular in the 70s or whatever. Um, 
So what, what Cramner wanted to do was to present Christ to people in their heart language. So what he does is he bets the future of what we now think of as the Anglican Church by creating a liturgy in English. And it's just yep. so hard for us to understand right now how crazy that would have sounded. No, you can't do that. You know what? It would be very close to the worship wars from the mm -hmm. 60s and 70s. Who one generation would have said, you cannot do drums yeah. and guitar in church. Why? Because those are secular instruments. Like sacred worship has to be led through sacred instruments like piano, organ, cello, right, whatever, right. trumpet. But no, you cannot do Chuck Berry. Sorry, I'm dating myself, but you know, <laughs> you can't do Chuck Berry in church. I'm sorry, that just I might, doesn't work. I might work. agree with that. Maybe you just or, can't Or do Michael it. J. Fox <laughs> from that movie. You know, you right. can't yes. do that in church. The, yeah. That's a secular instrument. Yeah. Well, that's the way people would have thought of this sort of dirty new language of English, yeah. that it wasn't fitting for worship, that that had to be Latin. Mm -hmm. So here's how Cramner explains himself in the preface to the prayer book. Being concerned that his flock didn't understand Latin, he said, I don't think they will profit from it, hmm. and that at best they'll only hear with their ears only, and that their hearts, their spirits, and their minds won't actually be edified. Yeah. I just found that absolutely stunning, and I, it creates for me an Anglicanism that I can live in. I just wrote a chapter for a book extolling um, prayer book um, Christianity or prayer book spirituality. So like, mm -hmm. I'm not down on yeah. in any way prayer book spirituality or prayer book approaches to worship. It's just that in Cramner, you find this love. Like I see love there. In a sense, I don't see missiology or I don't see even, you know, kind of prayer book spirituality as, you know, kind of an, an ecclesial um an ecclesial aspect, you know, intellectual aspect of the church. Right. I see love. Like, man, mm. if I if I cram Latin down these people's throats, they're not going to profit from it, and yeah. it'll just be me posturing to a history that then makes these people who are the real people in these little villages all over England. Mm. It makes them just a pawn in my posturing towards history. And what I see in Cramner is this love and hospitality, this agape, this space making, this willing to risk his whole reputation yeah. on delivering to people a Christianity that they could understand on their terms. Yeah. So not delivering a beautiful prayer book or delivering the 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 perfect liturgy, you know, delivered from heaven, but delivering a a way of worship that would help people profit from it. That yeah. would help people, you know, help people understand their faith and, mm -hmm. and live in relationship with Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. That's really, um, that is really compelling. I find my, I find my heart strangely warmed um, <laughs> yeah. to hear all of that. Um, and I, I'm thinking too, you know, obviously as um, this is, the, Cramner was writing when there was, there was just one Anglicanism, right? It was just yes. the Church of England. Mm -hmm. um, and he was writing for England. And then obviously, when the, when Anglicanism went global, they had this sort of the further, like we had to 
translate it, right? Because, yes. you know, not everybody speaks English. And, mm-hmm. um, and now there are, um, I don't know too much about this, but I've seen several liturgies from uh, Anglican churches in Africa, yes. for example, who have gone to great lengths to, to contextualize mm-hmm. the liturgies um, from the ancient church, but to contextualize them not just in their language, but also like in their idiom, right? So yeah, for and, and the rhythm, Nigerians and, everything, and Kenyans yes. and, and mm-hmm. whoever else, you know, yes. um, just trying to... Um, yeah, yeah, contextualize those things um, for the for the exigencies of their culture. Yes. Uh, which is a word that just means... That's a word for needs. the day. Exigencies. We've used yeah. it several times. It means urgent need. I just looked it up. Okay. Um, um, all right, so let's bring this into the present day then um, mm-hmm. and end with this. Um, so uh, because we've got this sort of permission from uh, Cranmer uh, mm-hmm. um, and, you know, Jesus, but like there's this inside of Anglicanism, there's this contextualization impulse. Um, unpack a bit for then what this means for us, that when you say that we build churches in conversation with a particular and specific mission field, mm-hmm. um, how, how is that... Um, you know, maybe the ditches here to avoid are we're just going to import a church that looks exactly like the one I came out over, the one that I like, and I'm just going to plant it right here and hope mm-hmm. see who wants to come to it. That's one ditch. And the other ditch is just to sort of throw everything out the window and just say, like, I'm just going to reinvent church from the ground up. Yeah. Um, so I, I, th- this phrase is compelling to me, and I wonder if you could unpack it a bit, that I, I hear you saying something different from maybe those two. Again, they're probably caricatures, but... How, you know, what, is, what do you mean by uh, developing churches in conversation with a particular mission field then? What yeah. does that look like? So I, I think of 1979 when I was starting my first church in Wheeling, West Virginia. Um, just, I think, to the south of Wheeling was a penitentiary that was built before the Civil War. I mean, it was like a dungeon. It was horrific. Like, wow. felt like just human beings should not... I don't even know if I could go in there today and make my claustrophobic act up, but it was so dungeony and, you know, dirt floors and it was horrible. And when I was in there with that prison population, I just couldn't talk like I Hmm. could if I was leading a demon course at a seminary. Right. I just had to adopt my language to uneducated, um, you know, different sort of cultural backgrounds. Um, yeah, that was a big learning curve for me that I, like if I'm going to get anywhere with these inmates, I've I've got to incarnate myself into their world. Hmm. I love that passage in 1 Corinthians 9, where it's that famous passage where I said, where Paul says, I became all things to all men. Peterson, and the message has him saying, I entered their world and I tried to experience things from their point of view but I didn't take on their way of life. I kept my bearings in Christ. Hmm. That I think is solid gold missiology. I entered their world and I tried to experience things from their point of view. And you know, what was fascinating when I asked them what they wanted to talk about their only connection to, uh, to religion at that time. I remember they wanted me to talk about the rapture. How funny is that? That is funny. They wanted, very, me to talk, they wanted yeah. me to talk about end times. It's a very 70s sort of oh, thing. Yeah. If you're, oh, yeah. Most of you aren't old enough to remember. <laughs> but I just remember being sort of floored, like, really, of all the things. Right. <laughs> like, right. you want to talk about the end times. That's funny. Um, so th- that that heart, though, of of giving ourselves to the world the way Jesus did, 
but he didn't give up, you know, think of Philippians 2, he didn't give up his seat, so to speak, as the second person of the Trinity. Mm. Well, in the same way, we as Christians and our public worship have to give ourselves to the world in a way that we enter their world, we try to experience things on their point from their point of view, but we don't give up our bearings in Christ. We don't, mm. we don't lose our sense of, uh, I love that word bearings, what gives us a stance amongst any group of people. So mm. putting it differently, when I started my church uh, 10 years ago, 11 years ago in Costa Mesa, California, we were attracting, I didn't mean to, but we just started attracting really intelligent, well-educated, middle to upper middle class Christian workers, so to speak. I mean, we mm. were attracting um, theologians and professors of various types and um, spiritual directors and therapists and counselors. So, you know, we had we had kind of a church full of people who had their own ministries out in the world. Mm-hmm. Well, I had, to, I had to talk to them in a very different way than I would have talked to, to that prison population in the 70s. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I really just mean to say something very, I think very um, simple that, uh, again, this is a caricature, but a stodgy traditionalism, it falls off the rails because it becomes unable to be alert to the life of the spirit and hmm. to others. Its only orientation is to the tradition. But as you say, a kind of laissez-faire, just trying to create relevance through marketing and right. whatever, well, that loses its in its end purpose. Yeah. And actually, you know, the term laissez-faire means hands off. Yeah. And, you know, you sort of just like, like you said, throwing out these seeds through ad campaigns or whatever, and like whatever happens, happens, mm-hmm. where actually the kingdom is very hands-on. Mm. I remember, you, remember Eugene Peterson used to just passionately advocate that if ministry is not done amongst named persons, it's not ministry. Hmm. Now, he was he was a radical about it. That's <laughs> yeah, true. Um, but man, I just remember him just hammering that into my head that ministry yeah. has to be amongst named persons. It can't merely be a crowd. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so that staying rooted, not, not adopting their way of life, but staying rooted... Um, mm-hmm. I think that's really important. As one of my one of my friends uh, has a high value on um, what he calls keeping church weird. Yeah, and I, I hear some of that where it's not it's not weird for weird's sake, but like there are some aspects of what we are proclaiming, mm-hmm. like you know what we just said earlier about like we're hey we're mystically connected, organically connected to a human being who is also God who lives in heaven mm-hmm. and who's given us His Spirit. Like you know what I mean? It's like this weird stuff. It's really weird, <laughs> yes. you know, to say all this yes. and say like no, actually this is true. This is what we're saying. So like we have to keep church weird, mm-hmm. but we also have to make that weirdness hospitable. We have to be yeah. hospitable in our weirdness to yes. say hey, I know this. This is weird, but you're, you, you come try, you know, like maybe it's true, you know, like confess Jesus is Lord, uh, get baptized, you know, like see, see if this is true, uh, in your life for you. So, um, maybe we could end with that. Keep church weird and hospitable and that's mission. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And keyword of the day, exigencies. (laughs) Exigencies. Yes, yes, yes. Keep church weird, but according to the exigencies of the day, be hospitable. That's right. Perfect. Anyway. All right. Uh, well, thanks, Todd. Uh, appreciate Thank this you, conversation ben. on mission. Um, friends, if you're listening, again, uh, we're just getting started on this podcast, and we could use your help. If you are enjoying these conversations, I would ask that you could rate and review. Uh, rev- review, Rate and review. 
Revate. Uh, rate and review us um, on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, please subscribe to the podcast um, and also tell a friend um, or tell your congregation about the podcast. We're just getting started. We'll be back next week to talk about our final value of our five, which is sacrament. And so I'm excited about that conversation. Uh, Bishop, we'll see you next week. Thank you, Ben. Peace. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the C4SO podcast. We hope you enjoyed our conversation. Email us your thoughts and suggestions at connect at c4so.org.